Okay. I mean, obviously, you do the intros. I'll try. Um, because I can't think of anything, but I'll try to be, do it good. Oh, uh, welcome to River Heights Radio. I'm Carl Hauser. And I'm Hope Busby. Today, we are so excited to talk about that party crashing, coat checking, mask wearing, not George, Detective Nancy, Nancy Drew. Drew, the mystery of the velvet mask. And we read the 1950s version. I, I started the 90s version, but then I lost it, so I had to read yours. So I mostly read the 50s version. Enjoy all that 50s slang. Hypers. This novel begins with a compliment from Hannah. You look lovely, Nancy, and very mysterious. Uh, they're, of course, referring to her costume, quote-unquote, of a Spanish senorita. Folks, this is not a costume. It's not okay. We're probably going to do a little mini-sode about cultural appropriation in Nancy Drew novels coming up soon. It's been a while since we did a mini-sode. Plethora of costumes, again, quote-unquote, we see in this, that are mostly just like, lol, check it out. It's a different othered culture. Mm-hmm. And it's exoticized here because, oh, it's so mysterious. I think that masquerades are like the old cons, right? Like, it's their <laughs> chance to cosplay, but they're not doing anything creative. Yeah, that's funny. Okay, so we find out she's wearing a black wig over her naturally wavy golden hair. Definitely not any red in this Nancy Drew's hair. You see it on the cover? She's not just wearing the clothing of a Spanish senorita. She's like, you know how those Spanish senoritas must have black hair? Yeah, and if two paragraphs into the book you haven't had enough racism yet, Carson backs this up by saying, you look very bewitching, but don't let some black-eyed villain creep into the evening now what a a weird way to say anything carl will tell you there's nobody with black eyes i don't know what you mean when you say you have black eyes well but if people with black eyes exist out there i'm no expert but they're not criminals just because they have black eyes let's be clear nancy tells her father i make no promises if i want to let criminals into my life i will let them in father he also made no attempt to reply to hannah's compliment by the way i don't care what you think Hannah. Of course, Carson only has more to say when she puts on her big senorita earrings. Now you're really a siren, he says, completely inappropriately. Because that's how you talk to your daughter. It's more about her quick mind and, and striking beauty that he's proud of. Yeah, yeah. And striking beauty. And striking beauty. But who shows up, uh, speaking of good lookers, the book describes good-looking Ned showing up at that moment, who dated her now and then. Ned is a college student who says, Wow, you're dynamite, Nancy. That's how every lady wants to be talked to. Nancy coaxes him to wear the matching quote-unquote costume to hers, which consists of a plumed hat, high-heeled shoes, a white neck ruff, and lace cuffs. And Ned's like, you expect me to wear that? He gets so close to saying, like, that's gay. But he doesn't, like, articulate what it is. But you know that, like, jock feeling is exactly what he's talking about. Yeah, so he's very indignant. He's not going to wear it. But then Nancy's like, but please? And he's like, well, you are pretty. I'll wear it. He says, though, those trousers look skimpy. Carson, luckily, is there to help him. I'll help pour you into them. 
The two retired to an upstairs bedroom. During the next ten minutes, sounds filtered to Nancy and Mrs. Gruen. <coughs> they were certain that the costume would be ripped to shreds before Ned's muscular body could be encased in it. These are the true skinny pants. And Ned is feeling self-conscious now. Nancy complimented how good he looked, but he still was like, I guess, I don't know. Dressed up basically like a silly peacock in his mind. Going to a masquerade where everyone's dressed up as a silly peacock. That's true. It's not clear what his reason is, whether it's body issues or homophobia or um, his jock image like being called into question. It's probably, I think, a mix of all these things, personally. Makes sense. Carson sends him away with a last bit of advice. If Nancy makes you help solve a mystery, Ned, be careful of those rented clothes. <laughs> Which, like, you just about ripped in half trying to put on his tight body, so. <laughs> but it's also a weird moment where they make it clear that, like, every costume in this book is going to have been rented. Mm -hmm. Which is important because this mystery is centraled around a costume rental company. She did not, like, pick out these costumes. Uh, yeah. Her friend Linda. Yeah. Who works at this theater costume company. Thrust them upon yeah, them. Yeah, just sent them over. Ned promises, saying, well, I hope so. Something exciting will turn up. Carson is 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 toying with him. Keep your eyes open, he says. Ask. Why don't you ask? Tell, do, do you want to know what's going on? <laughs> yeah. And I love it because when Ned does ask, he's like, well, if you've been reading the newspaper, which, <laughs> damn, Carson. <laughs> condescending as hell. An unusually smooth crook has been eluding the police for months. I don't know how he knows the crook's so smooth, but he does. Because he's been eluding the police for months, Carl. Oh, he's not hairless. <laughs> what? <laughs> you know, an unusually smooth crook. Oh, no. <laughs> At the masquerade, Bess Marvin, a plump, jolly girl, was dressed as a southern belle. I, how do they even recognize them in such, such perfect costumes? <laughs> George Fane, with her short haircut and slim figure, could fool anyone in her disguise as a boy. I love it. I'm surprised no one was like, why didn't you dress up for this, George? <laughs> you're just wearing your you're just wearing your disguise as a boy, which is pretty typical. <laughs> she wore men's clothing, Carl. It's he, scandalous. She could she has probably the least problematic costume best still has like that antebellum thing going on that whole let's get married on a plantation thing george is excited she's in the mood for a mystery and she thinks this is just the right kind of night nancy's way ahead of her having already noted that the unlocked glass case is making it very easy for thieves i love that she's like telling her friends this loudly and that is like hush hush a detective will suspect us <laughs> which I guess I've had that experience because I'll go into a store with friends and be like, huh, that looks like it would be really easy to steal where they placed it. Mm -hmm. They're like, stop it, Carl, stop it. <laughs> like, no, I'm just saying. Pretty expensive near the door. The difference is Nancy's not actually planning on going back to Best Buy and taking care of it. Mm -hmm. Anyway, the point is, she notes that the glass case is unlocked. She notes that they don't have policemen. She notes that they're not accepting invitations. Yeah. They're just letting anyone in. They're begging for it. But that's yeah. how this family is. They specifically chastise this family for not being that careful with their things. They, they sure never were careful with their wealth. Yeah, you know? George says that. <laughs> it's so interesting. Well, 
Bess wants to change the subject. Oh, let's forget about robberies. This is supposed to be a gay party. See, Carl? Yeah, take a look at Ned. Uh, shout out Ooh. to uh, Lizzo's new song, Everybody's Gay. Ned doesn't need to be told twice to drop the subject of robberies. He says, righto, and seizes Nancy's hand. Let's dance. And they do. The music was superb, and Nancy forgot everything but Ned's expert leading. Dang. I mean, he's not the best dance partner, as we learned last book. Right. But he'll do. But you pour him into some tight pants, and he really squeaks around <laughs> the floor pretty well. Their, their relationship is almost a year old now. And, yeah. you know, they got to spice it up a little bit mm-hmm. <laughs> with these costumes. Things get boring. That's what the mysteries are for, is spicing things up. By the way, folks. I hope you enjoyed winter break. Yeah, because it's summer again. Because now it's, you know, the end of June. Like it should have been last book. Masquerade season. You know, but we skip around. So now we meet Linda Seeley. The Linda Seeley that sent over the costumes. She tells them, I tried so hard to get there to be invites checked at the door. Linda specifically is saying this in the midst of a rash Mm -hmm. of burglaries that happen like exclusively at parties her company throws yeah and so she's like hey you know we're the we're the steal your stuff company do you want to do anything about that (laughs) and they're specifically like no it's tacky yep yep i also love when they see linda how quick they are to say she wasn't attending the party she couldn't have done that that's not her class wise nope 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 no no she's there as an employee and this is the the working girl is this is the first kind of novel where the only victims are rich people who specifically due to their pride didn't really guard their wealth or put like yeah 106 year old man on on guard duty mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there does seem to be this commentary on rich people just being like too dumb and too worried about etiquette but then on the other hand <laughs> nancy's gonna protect them i guess from their own stupidity it, like you, you you gotta feel sorry for rich people they're so stupid bail them out nancy <laughs> so ned and nancy keep dancing but pretty soon they're very warm so they go outside and sit on a garden bench for a minute nancy manages to lose her lacy mask in the process of trying to find it they find a man trying to climb the rose trellis they of course startle him away specifically by ned just out loud being like i wonder who that is (laughs) nancy at ned's request puts on the mask that he left behind that the thief dropped yeah he said, well, you lost your mask. Put on this one. Lice don't exist. Nancy normally would have done no such thing. But instinct told her she might be on the trail of the mysterious party thief. Well, it pays off. Yeah. Because a man wearing the same exact mask cuts in on her dance with Ned. He is scolding Nancy about how she was supposed to wear a quote-unquote oriental costume if you need to please listen to the mini-sode linked in the description Mm. about asian american stereotypes he says to nancy you nearly wrecked our plan stupid can't you learn to obey orders i love this gang of thieves because they are so mean to each other. Yeah. <laughs> Just constantly talking, calling each other names. Yeah. And they have the same sort of respect towards Nancy. This masked man calls Ned a pest and hands her a note before going away. This note appears to be an advertisement, <laughs> handwritten for some reason, but is in fact a coded message. Yeah, Ned says, oh, this is junk. 
No, Ned, shut the hell up. <laughs> it's not a code, by the way. I'm glad they made that clear, because it wouldn't make sense. It's a coded message. Allow me to read this to you. Eastport Trellis Company offers second-hand window sash on cash terms. In case of rain, every cloud has a silver lining. You see, in this message, there are essential words. <laughs> I can imagine them lighting up like it's psych or something. East Trellis. Window. Sash. Cash. Second. And the question then is, what's that last line mean? In case of rain, every cloud has a silver lining. Apparently that just means also there's silver. In the case. In the case. So if you go up that trellis they caught the man at. Yeah. In the second floor. Yeah. There's a case with silver. And also cash and use the window. You know, the point is, not a hugely helpful note, even if it got to the right people. Nancy Drew decides this is enough to call the police. Unless, of course, the phone lines are already cut. So as Nancy runs to call the police... She runs smack into a woman in a Javanese costume. Now, Javanese is the largest ethnic group in Indonesia. The Javanese language belongs to the Austronesian, uh, which is the Malayo-Polynesian family. That's according to the Encyclopedia Britannica. Indonesia, if you're not familiar, is near the Philippines, and it's between Vietnam and Australia. The woman is wearing the same mask that Nancy herself is wearing. Gasp. And that that man on the trellis was wearing. But through the mask, Nancy can see that she has dark, piercing eyes and a cruel mouth. What does that look like? Chewing on someone's favorite pen? Like, what? what is cruel about her mouth? Nancy is smart enough to not let the lady take off her mask, which is immediately what the lady decides to do. And the lady is incredibly strong, but as we know, Nancy is stronger. Buff detective. As they struggle, the maid comes running, but Nancy says, no, don't start a panic. If the party hears there's burglars, they'll all riot. I don't know. Luckily, Nancy finds a good clue. Torn fabric on the trellis from the man's cloak. Domino cloak? What is a domino cloak? I never really got that. Just like, does it look like a giant domino? Well, you can look it up. It's just a type of cloak. I will. <laughs> we'll try to share a photo on our Twitter. Well, the police recognize her on site. You're Miss Nancy Drew, the girl detective, aren't you? <laughs> and that's that's the full title. Nancy Drew, the girl detective. I guess maybe she has her own cartoon now or something. <laughs> That's what I think. Yeah. That's my theory. I like that. <laughs> Nancy uh, requests to the police that she can bring the mask, the only evidence they have, home. Can I have the evidence? So I can show my so dad. So I can show my dad. He's smarter than you. It's, <laughs> I want to bring it to school for show and tell. Can I <laughs> borrow the evidence? Which only causes problems. I don't know if she ever does show it to her dad. No. She, but I guess it gives her a major clue eventually. She does get a clue from it, and I'm looking forward to talking about that clue. Detective Ambrose, who seems to be the official police detective that's on this case. Yeah, I guess he got this one. Tries to arrest Nancy's friend, Linda. She didn't put detectives on the door. She didn't ask for invitations. Why would she do all those things? And I guess low-key they have been shadowing the whole company including linda they heard some rumors about linda so they're pretty sure she's sus nancy however knew the detectives could not arrest linda without evidence 
How unjust to frighten her. Mrs. Hendrick, to her credit, admits that the whole robbery is her fault. She insisted on not checking the invites. By now, Detective Ambrose had recognized Nancy as the daughter of Carson Drew. Watch your tone, Detective. So Ambrose says to Nancy, If you say this girl is all right, Miss Drew, I'll take your word for it. Nancy says, Linda is a friend of mine. Though she kind of wavers when her dad she asks. She specifically says she's not. <laughs> she, she's like, well, kind of a, a sort of friend. <laughs> friend of an acquaintance. <laughs> but Detective Ambrose says, that's good enough for me, and let's Linda go. So Carson is already involved with Linda's company. In fact, he's been working with the owner of Leitner Entertainment Company, Mr. Leitner, because Mr. Leitner is begging him to help him get out of all these lawsuits. It seems that this trail of burglaries they've left behind them has not gone without consequence and all these rich people are suing him carson believes that he is innocent but it is also like seems like a lot of work though <laughs> yeah yeah basically so and, I'm I, on, and i have no evidence and yeah i'm on the fence but i'm gonna throw my girl detective at it we'll see so when nancy goes to return the costumes that she got from this company which ned did not damage Good job, Thank Ned. God. She endears herself to Mr. Leitner by letting him dazzle her with his knowledge of historical masks. Mm -hmm. It's one of our learning opportunities of the book, folks. The knowledge throughout this book is given us about masks. I'm just sus of all of it. Like, I'm not sure it's accurate, so I kind of just skimmed it. Oh, Hope. <laughs> I could talk myself hoarse on the subject of masks says Mr. Leitner. For no reason, the book is like, uh, let's introduce a character that we never talk about again. First and last name. John Dale, at, because Mr. Leitner would like to talk more about masks, but he has to go. He has business. So having decided out of nowhere that John Dale is innocent, Nancy goes on to find a clue. A torn cloak in the style of Domino. It looks just like the one the man at the trellis was wearing. Nancy takes a minute to find Mr. Leitner so she can tell him about this. But by the time she gets back with him, the cloak is gone. She pulls a classic. Just a moment. Yeah. You, it turns into ten minutes. Yeah, well, wait. Yeah, yeah. And so ten minutes later, the cloak is gone. The, the idea is that whoever returned it was like still there somehow. Yep. And just made off with it. Well, it's not John Dale, Hope, okay? Mm-hmm, mm -hmm. Who specifically left the room. Yeah, he, did, he didn't do it. He was out of the room. Maybe Nancy should have explained to him why she was going to get help. I mean, even so, no one can expect, like, the cloak to just disappear. It's okay. It wouldn't have been that helpful of a clue. What she really needs to know is who returned it and who rented it. Specifically throughout this section, she's questioning everyone. And again and again, every time she's questioning people, they're like, but Mr. Tombar was busy being an assistant manager. Right. Mr. Tombar wasn't there. He was doing this. Yeah. Mr. Tombar said, anyway, he sounds super innocent and definitely not the bad guy. Yeah. Well, lo and behold, the, the name she gets, having rented this, is fake. And the person who rented this domino cloak out was none other than Linda, <gasps> who said she had rented no black cloak out that night. Is she guilty after all? No, it's 
a mistake mm. of some sort. Mm. <laughs> uh, she's just like, oh, that's faked. And, you know, there you have it. So Nancy does the next best thing. She goes to talk to the police. There's a new chief in town. I hope you guys have all gone and said hi. Yeah, drop by a fruit basket for mm. this man. Chief Denny. Okay. He says, you always seem to pick up a clue a little ahead of us, Nancy. I love, I love that just because only one person gets to pick up the clue. Mm. So she doesn't pick it up a little ahead of you. You didn't pick it up because it was gone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The police confide in Nancy since she's so beloved by them. They don't suspect the company anymore, but they do specifically suspect Linda. Apparently Mr. Tombar... Oh, Mr. Tombar. ...threw suspicion on her. Now, Peter Tombar, when Nancy meets him, is unfriendly, stout, and has dark eyes. But not only that, but he is dark complexioned. Nancy acts like she is really interested in how suspicious Linda is to get on Mr. Tombar's good side. Yeah, endear yourself to his interests, being mad at Linda. Yeah, he confides that Linda is flighty and scatterbrained crafty and that she twists like a pretzel when you try to pin her down nancy's like oh do you have any proof he's like no not really she's like oh so you don't have any proof and he's like a man has his own reasons for disliking hired help and he doesn't have to tell why nancy flushed which throughout this book does not mean she went to the bathroom it means that she is angry (laughs) that's true she felt an even stronger urge to help the girl now and uh her dislike of the man was increasing i don't get it what's so wrong with a man having his own reasons to dislike the hired help oh that's a nuts thing to say okay Well, Nancy takes a sandwich break after this to chat with Linda during her lunch. Every time she chats with Linda, it's at this, like, soda shop nearby. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's always, like, on Linda's lunch. Because they have to make it very clear that this girl's working. By the fact that she has to work alone, we should probably pity her. Compared to Nancy, who gets to jet set around the world solving mysteries. She learns from Linda a little bit more about Tom Bar. Vinegar and acid, a slave driver, and takes long lunches, to, which is the worst of it. I think the irony of calling one of the few dark-complexioned River Heights citizens a slave driver is just too much for me. Yeah, Linda maybe isn't, uh, yeah, that was a bad thing to say. Speaking of long lunches, at that t- moment, Nancy sees Mr. Tomdar bustle out of the building across the street and drive off. Naturally, Nancy decides to take chase. Unfortunately, she didn't drive today. Oh, no. Thank God they really fill us in constantly about the where's and how's of Nancy's transportation. Mm -hmm. Because I wouldn't really be engaged unless I knew that she got a taxi to follow him. Do you think that it had to be a taxi so Nancy didn't speed? Oh, my God. I was wondering. (laughs) So Nancy describes Tom Bar to the taxi driver as the opposite of a friend Mm -hmm. uh, which is apparently what suspects are that old boy sure is stepping on it you want me to keep him in sight says the taxi driver (laughs) i certainly do says nancy then sit tight miss keep an eye out for cops i like this guy Mm -hmm. and then a little while later she's like oh maybe not it's not worth the smash up let's slow down Well, it was almost worth the smash-up, because they chased him through a couple of red lights. Now Nancy gets to attend the Becker wedding. Beautiful. Another Leitner Company affair. (laughs) 
there are plain clothes men at this one, and a reliable servant is going to guard the presents. Oh, thank goodness. Nancy, in her aqua evening dress, gets stopped by Detective Ambrose, who says to watch out for a man with an Oxford accent. Nancy goes upstairs to see the gifts, like you always do at a wedding reception. Specifically, Nancy is like, I've been to some nice weddings, and these are the nicest presents I've ever seen. Yeah, these like bars of gold or something. However, she finds that the servant who is watching them is very elderly. Yeah, he's like this 106-year-old man, just like tucked amongst the presents. With a sense of urgency, she goes to warn Detective Ambrose, but she finds him arresting... An old Brit who doesn't understand what all this bolly fuss is about. What, what? Mr. Becker says, we don't know him. Kick him out. But before Detective Ambrose can take him away to jail, Nancy runs and gets Mrs. Becker, who's like, uh, he's an old friend. That was all a waste of time. Nancy realizes it might have been a distraction. So she goes upstairs to find this 106-year-old man Mm -hmm. crumpled on the floor. Mm -hmm. She sees thieves in there. She runs after them. So it's the great girl detective, the man hisses at her. (laughs) You know, from TV, from the cartoon. This is the same man who cut in at the dance. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Nancy grabs a nearby phone that I guess connects directly to... The kitchen? Yeah. The... (laughs) It's like a hotel phone, right? Like, it just connects to the front desk. Uh, and was the only thing this old man had to help him. Oh my god. Like, give him a gun. She just yells, help into the phone, and hangs up. So naturally, the thief gets away down the servant stairs. I assume because Nancy would never go down the servant stairs. <laughs> <laughs> but she yells, she does yell, stop thief. So there you have it. Luckily, he didn't take anything. According to Ambrose, nothing's touched. Uh, I mean, he took a few years off that old man's life, but other than that, <laughs> Ambrose says, Our quick work saved the wedding silver. <laughs> Nancy's like, Yes, we were lucky. <laughs> And the book says she smiles at the detective's use of the word hour. Yep. <laughs> yeah, we did a lot, didn't we? <laughs> Nancy goes home and Bess and George are waiting for her. George sure wishes she could have helped Nancy hold the thief. Careful what you wish for, George. Nancy says, I could have used a little of your muscle, George. He's a slippery rascal. <laughs> Bess is afraid he'll seek revenge, and George warns Bess not to give Nancy the jitters. All of this is foreshadowing. Nancy gets a phone call. It's not her dad. It's a menacing voice saying, keep out of affairs that aren't your own. And, uh, oh yeah, get rid of that hooded mask. Drop it within 24 hours over the wall of Hillside Cemetery. Now, this seems like a good time to ask the police to, like, go check out the cemetery. Sure. George says, we could spend the night. Nancy says, nope, not necessary. George says, I want to be in the fun, you know. Uh, George, George, George. I just feel like in this book, George is like Tigger. Like, she's just got all this energy and all this fun. And then she gets her, her Tiggerness taken away by the end of the book. Foreshadowing. So Hannah finds Nancy, uh, she says, mooning over that sinister thing. Why don't you burn it up? Naturally, if you have an ugly mask, burn it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, If you borrow evidence from the police, burn burn it. it. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But Nancy says, burn up my most valuable clue. 
Someday you won't be able to find a way out. I worry all the time about you. You're just like your father. Two of a kind. (laughs) Nancy, always the daddy's girl, says, Well, there's no need to worry if I'm like my dad. He's never failed to crack a tough case. (laughs) Which, like... He makes you do it. Yeah, specifically that's like, why. <laughs> he throws his he throws his daughter into danger. So he, I think since he was kidnapped at the bungalow, he's just been like, I don't want to be kidnapped ever again. No more drugs for me. Nancy seems to love it. <laughs> Nancy, now considering that the mask might be more clue than ever, decides to like rip it apart and finds written inside the lining of the mask several numbers. This code is just that they're dates. Which Carson sees right through. Yeah, he's immediately like, these are dates. And it actually took me a really long time to figure out how. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because. They're like 629. It's like 629. I'm like, that's a date. And then it's like 7 one, But I'm like, 7 1, it can't be a date. Mm. And then I'm like, oh, sometimes digits have one number. <laughs> so that was hard for me. I just don't understand why they're writing on the inside of their mask. Like, is that an easy place to keep track of things? It was like another note they were passing, but like a super secret note. Right. Like, you, like, those, like whenever you sew the, like, your grocery list into your jacket. Yeah, which you do all the time. <laughs> um, Inexpensive fabric ink. No less. Well, what? Yeah, right. The, like the most expensive, right? Anyway, Linda says of these dates, there is a party on every single one. Mm-hmm. Except the last one. Don't know what that's about. And there's four, so like 75% of them. But it's enough. It's mm-hmm. enough to mean something. Mm-hmm. Linda also says that the Leitner Entertainment Company was robbed of a bunch of masks the night before. <gasps> He loves his masks. Yeah. Togo, right then, warns Nancy of a spy. Nancy spends a lot of time not believing Togo, even though he's never been wrong before. Yeah, she's like, he always barks when people are here, but I assume there aren't any. At the end, they don't catch the spy, and Nancy pats him on the head and says, Good dog, you tried. (laughs) Oh, you tried hard. Yeah. Right then, Nancy gets a telegram from her dad. Now, he had said he was coming home, but the telegram says, bring the mask to the hotel. Sounds legit, right? Yeah, those telegrams from her dad are always real. No worry, she makes sure it's real. She calls the hotel and confirms that a telegraph was sent from the hotel in her dad's name. I mean, that proves it. Togo tries again to warn her that there's an eavesdropper. Togo, what the hell? And she will not listen. That might come back to bite her. So George has a good idea on what to do with this telegram. If it's a trap, then they need protection. George will dress up as Nancy, and therefore, it's okay, it's safe. safe. Yeah. Um, What say, says George? What say? At best, it's because she's more muscular. But really, it just seems like you're switching around sacrifices. Yeah, I think George just wants to get a book. Well, Hannah rents them some wigs. Why not? It would seem suspicious if they did it. And Bess will carry the mask. So that way, everyone's in at least some danger. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, so George is almost late. Nancy says she'll never forgive George if she's late. Best. Is that Nancy your best? It's such a best thing to say. Why did I say that was Nancy? I feel like they're always so mad at each other for being late. Best and George. <laughs> George shows up with a suitcase. This is the clincher that says ND on it. Ah, oh, Nancy's suitcase. It has to be Nancy. So Nancy and Beth sit in the back. George sits in the front. Of the bus. Of the bus on the way to. Uh, suddenly, a woman 
sits next to one of them. A man sits next to her up front also. And then another man sits in front of Nancy and Bess. It's all very, like, suspicious and mysterious, but they seem okay with it. Mm. Nancy and Bess can no longer talk about the case. Right, because what if someone's Mm. eavesdropping on them again? There's no Togo to warn them. Suddenly they get to a stop and it looks like the thieves are going to get off. Nancy has decided these are the thieves. Right. Mm. They have to be because they're surrounding them. Suddenly as they get up, George just slumps over and the woman goes, oh my, our daughter is ill Mm. and just like scoops her up. I was terrified of this as a kid because I guess this was a news story and my mom told me about it. Somebody did that in a bathroom, drugged a kid and was like, Oh, my daughter's sick. I'm bringing her home. But the person she said that to was the mother of the kid. Oh, my God. So it got sorted out. But my mom was always terrified that would happen to me. I think it's just such a weird thing. Like, if anyone goes around yelling, like, this is my child, I'm going to suspect them. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, they they carry George out, the gall. Nancy and Bess obviously get up. Sorry. George and Bess, wink, get up. (laughs) To, to uh, save who the thieves must think is Nancy. And the man in front of them blocks their way. Yeah. He's just like, what are you guys, what are you guys doing? You guys, I want to get to know you better. Like, it's menacing oh, as hell. so creepy. Like, I feel the fear in this scene for the first time of the kidnapping itself. It does not take the thieves long to realize that this is not Nancy Drew. Not only is it a wig, but for some reason that I don't understand, George packed the suitcase with (laughs) things that had her initials on them. Why even pack it? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, the suitcase says ND, but the inside it says GG. No, what is her last name? GF? So now they start calling each other stupid for getting the wrong girl. It's, like, it's all very Three Stooges. Like, well, you did it. Oh, I just, you know, how could I have done? Mm-hmm. So they inject. This is creepy as hell. They mm-hmm. inject George with a truth serum. Trying to get more info about Nancy. In general, the injection thing is creepy, though. Mm-hmm. But they give her too much, so she's just, like, ill. And they leave her against a tree. Yeah. It's proper against a tree. And menacingly, the woman whispers something into her ear before she leaves. Mm, wonder what it is. So, meanwhile, Nancy and Bess are trying to get the police involved, but the police at the railroad say it's not in their jurisdiction. We can't help you. So, they like they can't leave the train. We're train police. <laughs> They're like, do you need anything else? Did you notice anything else? Nancy did notice that one of the criminals dropped a shiny metal disc, and she's just like, I can't bother about that right now. So, she doesn't tell them. Yeah, I guess she'll come back for it, but like, yeah. that's a terrible thing to do with clues. So, the state police pick them up and drive them out and uh, Nancy spots George against the tree. George, when she comes to, weeps hysterically and tells Nancy to give up the case. It was so unlike George to give way to her feelings. This is where the story gets dark. Yeah. Nancy is amazed to learn that the telegram was a hoax all along. And I'm like, by this point you should know that. What? Wait a minute. (laughs) Well, Carson gives good advice. He says, you should probably forget the whole thing. Yeah. Don't mystery Mm. anymore. Let Detective Ambrose take care of it. And Nancy says, um, no. Mm -hmm. So she goes back for the clue, which, thank God, is still there. Mm. 
like no one likes to pick up shiny things. Turns out it's a rectangular metal tag flattened now by the train. So the doctor sends George home, says that she will sleep all the way. So she wakes up on the way and Nancy's like, I'm going to calm down my friend. I'm going to tell her horrifying mask facts. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Quote, among savage people, masks were used to frighten away demons. Mm -hmm. To which George replies, oh, (laughs) (laughs) fair enough. Oh, you talk about such horrible things, Nancy. You're positively morbid. She She's had a total change of character, which trauma will do. And I think we kind of assume at this point that George is, like, traumatized. And maybe still semi-drugged. And still semi-drugged. That's a truth serum talking. Mm. Don't, you're only criticizing Nancy because of the truth serum. Nancy, for once, does apologize. She, the book says that the distasteful subject is not mentioned again. But this was not the old George. Nancy says, poor George. It's really my fault, too. I never should have allowed her to masquerade as me. Yeah, that was literally never a good plan, no matter what. Yeah, but it's also so bizarre that, like, Nancy has this need to have been the one kidnapped. Yeah, a total hero complex, right? It's just like, oh, I wish I had been damaged. I could take the trauma, unlike George. And she is. Like, it takes three books for us to see what a trauma sink Nancy is for everyone around her with the amount of times she takes kidnappings. Yep. Anyway, the metal card has just enough writing on it mm-hmm. that she figures out that it's a credit card to Taylor's department store. And when she takes it there, she finds out that it's specifically an employee credit card. So she informs the Taylor's department store manager that they may have a dangerous criminal in their employ. Um, to which he replies, excuse me, we don't hire criminals. <laughs> that perpetuation of the idea that there are criminals and non-criminals and there's no idea in this book that maybe someone could like their whole life not be a criminal and then turn into one i like the idea that they have a little check mark on the employee form like (laughs) criminal not criminal i mean it's the criminal background check right (laughs) yeah they they just gotta let them know uh but nancy insists a person may have managed to become employed by them even while being a criminal the manager says okay i'll ask everyone all the employees to turn in their cards and when they do that then we'll know who doesn't have one and he says it with all the verve and gusto of someone who's not gonna do that yeah like it'll take a minimum effort like he's gonna put in the minimum effort and like he's such a believable store manager because he has to say yes yeah it'd be bad pr not to but then he's gonna do as little as possible you know it yeah he says it with the air of someone who's gonna really change your schedule for you i love that this is the first nancy drew book where we see criminals that don't have a criminal background yeah that's true one of them had previous charges but i don't think the rest did and the main guy didn't when nancy visits carson at work he is in the middle of dictating a letter to his secretary but stops for nancy oh that's dad's love <laughs> nancy says she's gonna follow tom bar on his lunch but linda says tom bar didn't come in today and invites nancy to a ritzy affair Apparently, a French singer is in town. I hope you all caught her performance. Nancy wears her hat with the black velvet bow and a pink flower dress. Hannah is the one who came up with that outfit. I want to be clear that I did not catch the performance because I only listen to popular radio music. (laughs) Yes. 
Yeah, so at the party, she sees Tombar. No Linda. No Linda, who was supposed to be there. Tombar says to Nancy, I thought girls your age were only interested in dance, music, and the latest hit tunes. <laughs> Which, like, yeah, I am. <laughs> Have you heard the kind of stuff they're hiding in wallpaper now? Tombar had sent Linda away. He didn't want her there. She had important errands to do. And asks how Nancy got in. He's suspicious that invitations are being given away by employees she says it was an invitation your name wasn't on the guest list he growled nancy smiles sweetly you can just imagine that demure smile perhaps you didn't look carefully enough (laughs) and then saunters away it is high drama Nancy watches enough of the singing to pass as a concert goer and then gets to sleuthing. Nancy goes to help a sick guest who is upstairs. That's suspicious. And she finds a slim woman in a dark blue dress which clung to her shapely hips. Hot. (laughs) Taking jewelry out of the dresser. Also hot. Uh, She has a hard brazen face, however. And Nancy recognizes her as the woman she fought at the masquerade. (gasps) You know, the masked woman. The woman, well, she recognizes her cruel mouth. It's those shapely hips. Yeah. Damn. Just as she sees this woman, she's accosted from behind. Grabbed by a man who says, in what can only be described as an Oxford accent, Serves a little sneak right. (laughs) That's Oxford. He pushes Nancy to the bed, wraps her up in the bedspread, covers her in coats. Give it to her good, says the woman. Make sure she won't meddle anymore. She just about passes out when the maid arrives. So the maid arrives to these two people run away from the coats and then like a small blonde girl climb out of them. Yeah, and it says she's pretty disheveled. Yeah, she's embarrassed about it. The hostess of the party says she didn't want any detectives. That's not proper etiquette. Oh gosh. These are all my friends. But several pieces of her valuable jewelry are in fact missing. We all know the friend who does that stuff. Mm-hmm. Luckily, Nancy finds the shapely coat that the woman had had on <laughs> and examines it. In the pocket, she finds a velvet mask. Aha! Proving that they have masks. She should have ripped it open. There might have been more clues in there. Right. But she does get the ink from that first clue tested in what is a throwaway about, like, sending it to a chemical lab. Mm-hmm. Like, she just has that. You know, results in less than a day. Right. So it turns out, though, that it's a very specific fabric ink. Expensive. Uh, A very specific expensive fabric ink that would be owned by very few people unless they for some reason wanted to mark lots of clothing that was coming and going from their business. Uh Aha! Like the Leitner Entertainment Corporation. To prove it, Linda takes a Leitner bottle of, like, you know, $1,000 per bottle ink and they test it against each other. To be clear, Nancy requested that bottle. (laughs) Yeah, she's like, just take it. Just Mm -hmm. do it. And they do say that look, this is this is fireable. It's a perfect match. So Nancy decides that the only way to learn more is to go undercover at the Leitner Company as a person who works there. Whoa. The strangest thing Nancy's ever been. <laughs> Tombar gives her continuous unfriendly glares while she works there, but then ignores her. Whenever she goes undercover, it's 
specifically to be a working girl of yeah, some sort. Yeah, It's very, like, Barbie. Like, look at all the things Nancy can be. Unfortunately, George still isn't recovered, and the doctor says it's mostly mental. What is that? It's fine. <laughs> no mystery Nancy has ever solved has baffled her this much. Hannah points out that the criminals may have threatened George, which Hannah solved the mystery of George's mental illness far before anyone else. I hate it so much, because this book really <laughs> builds up George as having been changed by her experience. Mm -hmm. She wanted to be Nancy and she realized it's scary and it's bad. So when in the end we find out it was just a threat, that is that pisses me off. <laughs> George says she had a premonition. Nancy was dropped off a cliff by a man in a velvet mask. That's something you can't laugh off, she says to the ever laughing Nancy. <laughs> I'll avoid all cliffs. Nancy humored her. Ordinarily, George would have smiled. She did not make her usual witty comeback. What the hell, George? Yeah. I humored you in everything. And not only that, but Nancy's parting cheer up pal met with a blank response. My depressed pals always cheer up when I tell them to. <laughs> she has had enough. She says to Bess, something must be done about George. The only thing is to solve this mystery. Yeah, that's her solution. She better solve it quick. So it turns out that finally, Mr. Tombar found a good reason to fire Linda. And it was the ink bottle. Yeah, stealing that ink. Even like, even though nothing had ended up missing, the fact that she had like removed it for a moment, he's been looking for a reason. And I love that Linda's like so grateful to Nancy because Nancy's like, I'll try to get your job back for you or one of equal value. And it's like her fault in the first place. I love the equal value mm -hmm. idea. Like they pay you good here. You're fine. Mm -hmm. Nancy does try, but Mr. Leitner will not take Linda back because obviously he trusts Mr. Tombar. He doesn't hire criminals. Yeah. But he does allow Nancy, even though she probably shouldn't work there anymore either, <laughs> to attend a lecture that they are hosting, That you know, a Leitner lecture event. Mr. Leitner is taking charge of the lecture, and Mr. Tombar is in a huff. Mr. Tombar wanted to take care of the lecture. Mr. Leitner also asked Mr. Tombar not to take such long lunches, so things are not going well for this gentleman. Mm -hmm. Nancy suggests to Mr. Leitner that they should do a special type of invitations for this lecture. A special swirl. You could call it a watermark, but no. It's a swirl. Nancy talks to Mr. Johnson, the tailor's manager, and he says he's not rushing the plates as to not seem suspicious. He's gotten like three in from employees. Mm -hmm. Nancy says to her father when she sees him next, If you hadn't been such a good teacher, Dad, I'd certainly go to the police with all this information and insist that they shadow Tombar. I'm glad you're using your head, Nancy. Your hunches are usually good, my dear, so keep after him. But not enough evidence for the cops. Yep. And indeed, Nancy does keep right after Tombar. On George's request, Nancy wastes an entire Wednesday visiting her. Ugh. Nancy did miss her help. And even worse, Bess was out of town, leaving Nancy with a lonesome feeling. But I mustn't give up even for a second, says Nancy. No days off. George is like, please give up, even for a second. <laughs> yeah, nope, it will I'm make sorry. you feel worse. If my best friend was in that state, I would give up. <laughs> for at least a second. Yeah. So when Nancy does attend this lecture, guess who's there? Friggin' Tombar, to her chagrin. It was obvious to Nancy that Mr. Tombar wanted to be there for some reason. <laughs> 
Nancy was disgusted by Mr. Tombar's rudeness. This is an example where you're disgusted too, but not for the same reasons Nancy is. Tombar had yelled at a maid. Right. And, and like as if he she worked for him, which she didn't. Yeah, that's what Nancy's mad about. That maid isn't employed by him, so he can't yell at her. All the rights to yell at her belong to the Claytons who own the house. He's being such a jerk to everyone. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so he's setting up this party. He's awful. He must sense that she's judging him for yelling at this girl because he twirls on his hill and starts yelling at Nancy. You're always underfoot, he says, before Nancy again flushes and walks away. A lot of flushing in the book. <laughs> <laughs> Nancy decides to walk around outside to see if there's anyone suspicious. She gets bogged down with an unconscious man. Even though she sees the lights go out in the house and knows there must be a robbery, she decides it's cruel to leave the man. Nancy goes back into the party, gets him some help, and apparently nobody noticed that there was a robbery. Like, not only is Nancy required for stopping thieves... She has to notice. Yeah, otherwise nobody would know. Nancy decides to question Tom Barr the best she can. She acts all innocent and wheedling. Uh-huh. She says, I was outdoors and didn't see anything, but I'd have been terribly scared. Weren't you? <laughs> Tomber says, say, what is this, the third degree? It's immediately like, why? Questions, why? The police can't find any clues because not a clue was left by the wily party thieves. I guess that makes sense. <laughs> They would never be caught by ordinary methods. They were cunning and clever at anticipating traps made for them. None have been made. They figured out the special swirl, I guess, Carl. yeah, they grabbed an invitation for a knocked out guy. <laughs> Nancy's thoughts turned back to Tom Barr. The man was an enigma. His behavior was so unspeakable that it made him seem suspicious. That's not the only thing! So many things make him seem suspicious. <laughs> what happened to you, Nancy? And she cannot go to the wedding on Saturday, even though it's one of the dates in the hood. Drat. Because Ned would never forgive me if I disappointed him. He and constantly she, forgives you. Yeah, like Ned would forgive you for anything, first He's of all. Slap him in the face and put him in a tight pants. Doesn't matter. Yeah, so she has to go to a dance with him. <laughs> Bess gets a hold of Nancy. George is scared out of her wits about something. Nancy says she never was frightened of anything before. I know, says Bess. I always was the timid one of our trio. She lost her place. It's as if she's under some sort of spell, which is like trauma. It's so much trauma. Did not like being kidnapped and attempted murder. People in the 50s did not understand trauma, clearly. How can she have shell shock? She wasn't even in the war. (laughs) Bess says to avoid talking about the case when she comes visit George or pretend that she's given it up. Nancy agrees to pretend she's given it up, but I don't think she ever does pretend that. But she's the one who always brings it up, says Nancy, Nancy of George. Nancy's getting a little That's what defensive. I meant. Yeah, she's the one. She keeps talking about it and telling me not to do it. Mm-hmm. This is awful, says Bess. It's like losing the best pal we have. She's gone now. She's pretty. She's mm-hmm. dead to them. Mm-hmm. We don't love her if she's scared. I know it, says Nancy. But if I visit her, I'll do a good pretend job. Yep, a pretend job. Which, okay. Which she absolutely doesn't. Bess and Nancy, meanwhile, go shopping. They end up at Taylor's department store, and they bump into their school friend, Alice, who says they were told never mind about returning those charging plates. Why do so many of their school friends work? Do they go to a poor school? The only school in River Heights. <laughs> 
Nancy says, I guess I'll have to give up on the idea of getting these charging plates returned. And she does. She just gives up. The criminals didn't even have to try that hard. They just like sent around a note that was like, don't turn them in. And nobody did. I think the greatest asset to this criminal enterprise is a manager who's not involved. Yeah. Bess loyally says, oh, you'll think up some other scheme. And uh, then Alice tries to sell them what Nancy recognizes as a stolen painting. (gasps) On ceramic, I guess. Yeah, she recognizes it from the Hendrix glass case at the beginning of the book. Nancy buys it, of course. Right. And then she brings it up with the manager, Mr. Watkins. Because it's remarkably underpriced. Who says, yeah, that is underpriced. Let's go check the invoice. Mm -hmm. Mr. Snecker, you know, is responsible for pricing. Good old Snecker. And I can't find the invoice. Not suspicious at all. I do like that he's like, I'm not going to make you return it, but this was a mistake. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It will not happen again. While uh, checking the invoice, we get a little bit of gossip about this Snecker fella. He's efficient, but takes too many days off. Boy, that's the most American workforce thing I've ever heard. Uh-huh, sure uh-huh. gets his job done, but doesn't take long enough to do it. He's always either ill or fishing. Fishing or ill. The fishing bug really bit Snicker hard. <laughs> I love that he said the, the, the fishing bug because it seems like that could both make you love fishing or get you sick. So it works either way. <laughs> I love that it is probably the fishing that makes him sick. But I also love that it's never clear if he even ever went fishing. No, I think he was just doing crime the whole time. <laughs> this struck Nancy as very odd. <laughs> How did this Mr. Snecker manage to keep his job while sucking at it so hard? (laughs) It's a clue. I love when just like people doing things Nancy doesn't expect it to be done Mm -hmm. is a clue. Mm -hmm. Like, wait a minute. Because him not losing the job really ended up having nothing to do with anything. Right. He was efficient. Mm -hmm. So Nancy tells Mrs. Hendrick, who she returns the painting to, not to call the police on it. You can have your painting back, but keep it hushed. I have a hunch that Taylor's isn't to blame. Mr. Snecker is still sick the next day. So Mr. Watkins gives Nancy his address. Naturally, why not? When women get their hearts set on a thing, they sure go after it. And I love this. This is the first time we've seen sexism applied to what has been regularly said to be one of Nancy's better traits, complemented by her male counterparts throughout the novels, consistently a way that she is compared to her father. Mm. You know, if there isn't gold under one stone, you turn over another. Nancy, I sure respect about you that you never give up. And then this is the first time we see it turned into, like, a weird woman's thing. Could it be that Nancy has inspired so many women (laughs) to do the same that it's now become... Out of fashion for men. Out of... Yeah. (laughs) Ugh. Women sure love to get stuff done. We travel with Nancy down to Tanner Street. Now, you know Tanner Street. It Uh. is in the old section of town. You can tell because the... Streets are choked with children and the living quarters are close together and it's just not Nancy's type of place. Yeah, specifically she has to slow down her driving because the streets are filled with children. Very poor and densely settled. It is probably the most classes I've heard her talk about a lower Uh, income part of good old River Heights. If the streets were really filled with children, she would not be able to like just drive down it. Or is she just saying, eh, I ran over a few poor kids. (laughs) After driving through several unattractive streets, Nancy finally came to the one she sought. The red brick dwelling composed of four stories was run down and outmoded. 
It's just out of style. It's just the whole, this is not a location you should live. Mm-hmm. When she pulls up, she sees who driving away? Tombar! Tombar! He makes too much money to be around here. He drives away in his muddy green sedan. Nancy considers immediately following him, but decides she drove here for a reason. Yeah. So she knocks on the door pretending to be a sales girl. Who opens the door is Mrs. Snecker, who I guess lightens up a bit when she realizes it's someone from work. Mr. Snecker's in bed with asthma. I tell him if he'd stay away from the river, he wouldn't get these attacks. He's supposed to take some medicine. But how can he when we don't have no money? Nancy's like, are you having a hard time of it? She it's literally says she feigns concern. Yeah, they have to tell us. Don't that worry. She this does is not fake. care. <laughs> what do you expect on his salary? Maybe he ain't no hustler. If you know what I mean. If you know what I mean. I do not know, and I tried to look this up too. I'm not really sure. I told him to ask for more, but, and she gets interrupted, but I think hustler is just like, he doesn't negotiate for salary. he's not hustling. He's not ambitious. Florence! Florence, come here, will ya? That's him calling me now, always keeping me on the run. He wants me to wait on him like he was a baby. But we'll soon be on Easy Street with the best of them. Which, like, okay, so they got something big coming down the line. Nancy decides to pry in the weirdest way possible. (laughs) Oh, like your friends, the Tombars. First of all, I didn't even know Tombar had a wife. Yeah, and then in the end, they specifically say that she had no idea about any of the criminals. Or any of the crimes. So only friends with one Tombar. Yeah. (laughs) Sure, she says. And believe me... uh, before realizing she's said too much. And yeah. she just slams the door. Yep. She slams the door. Uh, she doesn't know who this sales girl is at all or how she knows the Tombars. Nancy specifically tries to get in to the door yeah. that's just been slammed in her face. But unfortunately, it is locked. What was your plan there, Nancy? <laughs> well, says Nancy, I learned something. I guess just that they were friends with the Tombars. That they know the Tombars. The wedding that Nancy missed did not have a robbery, conveniently. Uh, maybe. maybe they just didn't notice. We don't ever get to hear about that dance. That really confused me. Like, we yeah, that passes forward by. in, the t- yep. in time. So now we learn some more about masks. Mr. Leitner would have talked on at length, but Nancy had other business. <laughs> she cuts him off says, hey, can you give Linda her job back after all? Yeah, now that, like... (laughs) Now that it's been some time. Yeah. Mr. Leitner says he does miss Linda, and he gives Nancy permission to go ask Tombar to give Linda her job back. Well, she works, she's a good worker, so go ask the guy who hates her. Yeah. So while Nancy is waiting to talk to Tombar, she overhears him loudly talking. No, I won't do it. I told you before never to bother me when I'm on the job. This time I mean it. Absolutely sounds like he's talking to a criminal. But it ends up to be the other kind of people who are mean real estate agents. Oh, sure. So the, vis- the visitor says something, but too quietly for Nancy to hear. Suddenly Tombar is really shouting. Get out of here, Harris. <laughs> Get out before I throw you out. Tombar roared and he fairly shouted, which I feel like are two different messages. Harris rushes past Nancy and she doesn't get a chance to see his face. So yeah, Mr. Tombar lumbers out of his office. So enraged that his red face looked like he might burst a vessel at any moment. Shaking his fist in front of Nancy's bewildered face. You little eavesdropper spying on me. I won't have it. Though furious. Nancy gave no indication of her feeling. (laughs) 
Spy, I sure don't know what you mean. You young nuisance, you're always around! Nancy smiled and remained silent, knowing how to get the most reaction out of any person. Tom Barr tells Nancy that Harris was there to try to sell him a cemetery plot, and he's not buying. Yeah, so it's not suspicious or anything. Nancy was certain he was lying. But she says, It's not pleasant to think about dying, but I suppose it's necessary. And that gets Mr. Tombar back on her side. He lets his guard down. And Nancy says, Hey, can Linda have her job back? <laughs> Nothing doing, says Tombar. Not even our connection over not wanting to die. Well, <laughs> He says, I don't trust Linda. Nancy gives him several sound reasons he should give Linda her job back. And he gazes at her coldly. Look at these charts, Tombar. At that moment, he has to answer the phone. I guess he assumes that Nancy is leaving. But Nancy thinks she hears him say, Florence. Tombar slams down the phone, almost purple with rage. Ah, you're trying to get an earful again. Well, this is the last time. Steam coming out. So he comes at her, clearly threateningly, when suddenly he looks up and sees Mr. Leitner right behind her. Oh, what? I wasn't... He heard the whole thing. So Nancy escapes to the hall while they have a uh, private managerial chat about his behavior. But since they don't close the door, she can hear everything. This is the last straw, says Mr. Leitner. But I I gave an apology, says Tom (laughs) Barwood. What else do you want? I almost slapped a young woman and I apologized for it. Well, that apology, says Mr. Leitner, with a mic drop, is accepted with your resignation. You, you can't fire me. You can't, you're not doing that. You can't. Mm-hmm. So Mr. Leitner says, I can, and I have. Total badass. Oh! <laughs> I love that Mr. Leitner specifies that Nancy is his good friend. But yeah. really, it's just like, it's mostly her dad. my lawyer is trying to help me. Don't, yeah. don't screw this up. Yeah. Mr. Leitner tells Nancy, I know it wasn't your fault, and apologizes to her. He will look at rehiring Linda. Tom Barr leaves without his paycheck, even though Mr. Leitner told him to grab it. And mm. Nancy notes that he now has an excuse to come back. But that never comes up again. It doesn't, but I know what she's talking about. Like when you left your hoodie at my place. I feel like they're just trying to teach us etiquette at this point. <laughs> so Nancy visits Carson and learns that Harris owns a real estate firm, not a cemetery. <laughs> Carson suggests having Tombar followed at this point, but Nancy wants more time. Yeah. What? Yeah. You wanted him followed earlier, Nancy. No, she wants to follow. She oh needs my to she needs gosh. to be What if some private detective has gets it as bad as George? She couldn't have that happen. Nancy does not like the new management at the police station. Chief Denny is no Chief McGinnis. Mm. Nancy is direct with Mr. Harris, and he's direct with her. He says, what I was trying to do is to buy the Blue Iris Inn from Tom Barr. Oh, the old Blue Iris? Yeah, but he's just being really stubborn about it. Nancy thinks it's not just stubbornness. She thinks that that's where all his long lunch breaks were, too. The road isn't paved, hence... 
the muddy sedan. <gasps> Nancy would have enjoyed seeing the inn before, but now she has a particular desire to see it. Bass agrees to go with Nancy to examine the, the old inn, the old blue iris. I hate to do it. But I won't let you down, says Bess. <laughs> the fact that she feels like she would let her down by, like, following her own mm-hmm. anatomy? Autonomy. God bless you. Nancy suggests a sandwich and a thermos of milk so they can have a picnic, which is a great way to get Bess on your side mm-hmm. going anywhere. Bess nevertheless shivers at the thought of that spooky, closed-up place. She says when they get there, this place gives me the creeps. I wouldn't want to have even a picnic here. It's a lot for Bess. <laughs> Nancy laughed at the thought. Uh, Lots of boxes and crates are inside of the Blue Iris Inn, which is strange because it's meant to be abandoned. We can't get in without smashing some of the boards on the windows, and that might land us in jail. I love that there's this understanding now that trespassing will get you in trouble, but Nancy's still like, if we can do it in a way we don't get caught. Yeah, as long as you're not smashing and you're trespassing, Mm -hmm. it's it's not a B and E if you don't B. Bess suggests that at this point they could go to the police. To which Nancy says, I guess. But I'd like to find a way inside. You know, Bess, this Chinese puzzle we've been working on is beginning to take a definite form. Could it be any puzzle? Does it have, is there a reason it has to be a Chinese puzzle? I think only that they've referenced it in other novels. So by now it's kind of just like a staple. But it's never been a good one. Bess agrees, pointing out that if they are wrong... They might look silly telling the police. Oh, no. So Carson suggests she does not go to the police at this point. Yeah, he doesn't want her to look silly. Mr. Leitner invites Nancy to go to a masquerade that night. Nancy decides she will go undercover as a maid checking in coats. That's the ultimate level of masquerade. Also, Linda is rehired. Yay! Back home, there's a pleasant surprise for Nancy. Ned is lounging on the porch. (laughs) The school books are locked up, says Ned. He seizes Nancy and plants a kiss on her cheek. (gasps) Scandal. You look wonderful. Ned, the neighbors. (laughs) Nancy flushed. But I'm glad to see you. So yeah, the neighbors can't see you, like, kiss a girl on the cheek. That's such a fascinating remnant of the time. Mm Mm-hmm improper nancy invites ned to the masquerade as a hat check boy (laughs) apparently they need a different place to check hats than coats ned agrees in order to help catch the thieves but he has a problem what do i know about checking men's hats or coats nancy assures him the same thing we would all have to assure him it's easy i'm nothing but a jock i I sell insurance not check coats Ned is sorry to hear about george because george is such a good scout normally (laughs) you're a very handsome check room boy says nancy they love to dress up for each other Mm -hmm. it's that point in the relationship how do i look lovely says ned but not natural what a hairdo I had to disguise myself, says Nancy. So she borrows Hannah's coat and hat, just in case. Mm -hmm. Carson is going to wait up until they're safely home, just in case. Mm -hmm. And six plainclothes policemen are on guard duty, just in case. Nancy is paired in the coat room with a woman named Hilda, who is rather indifferent. Mm -hmm. She doesn't want to be in this story. Nancy tries to give Hilda a history lesson. At which point she gets suspicious of Nancy. (laughs) She's like, what do you, what do you go to high school or something? <laughs> she says, you've been a maid long. You got a lot to learn. <laughs> we don't talk about history here. We check coats. Yep. 
At that point, a man with what is referred to as a Moorish costume. Not okay. Not okay. He comes to pick up a long green coat. His intense black eyes disturbed Nancy. So she takes a moment to pretend she's having trouble finding his coat when she hears a British accent. In the back of the man's coat pocket, a velvet mask. No! Nancy gives him the coat back with a French accent just to back up her disguise. She puts on Hannah's coat and hat and says to Hilda, you're in charge here alone. I doubt if I'll be back. And (laughs) Hilda is as shocked as I would be. She says, well, I never. Where's your two weeks, Nancy? (laughs) Yeah, Nancy signals Ned. Ned follows the man and Nancy follows the elderly woman that the man puts the coat on. At this point, hats are just piling up outside the check. (laughs) It's chaos. (laughs) The man heads to the kitchen. Now, what could this bird want in the kitchen, Ned says, (laughs) weirdly. The caterer stops Ned momentarily, but heedless of possible danger, Ned keeps going. When he reaches the dark basement, Ned gets hit on the head and knocked out. Ned is too late to stop the man from switching off the power to the whole party. In a desperate struggle, Ned has but one purpose in mind, to knock out his muscular and wily opponent. (laughs) I can just imagine this all going through Ned's head, like, he's so muscular and wily. (laughs) The man was as fiercely bent on keeping Ned pinned to the floor. Nancy suspects that the woman is the one who wore the Javanese costume. With the cruel mouth. Nancy is sure that she's not elderly and that she's after the silver peacock. The silver peacock. So she's following this woman, but a floorboard betrayed Nancy. At two floorboard. The lights go out just then, and a man behind her says not to move. (gasps) Oh, it's Detective Ambrose. Screw him. She dives at the thief, wraps her arms around her, and fights with her. This thief is like a tigress. So the lights come back on and Ambrose figures everything out and comes to help Nancy. He's just standing there the whole time. Yeah. It's actually the woman from the train who (gasps) drugged George. Trapped, my beauty, gloats (laughs) Detective Ambrose like a weirdo. You stupid dick, she says. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) You can't pin this on me. What I love is that apparently that's not like a modern thing to call a cop because he says old timer a referring to the old-fashioned name she used for him and they specify that in the book yeah it's an old-fashioned name i don't know what they call them i just i think that it's clear that they snuck in a swear word nice (laughs) the woman tries to frame nancy but ambrose laughs and handcuffs her come along sister i'm sure all this thing has changed in the updated version bibbidi bibbidi boo Uh, Nancy finds the woman's white wig and an invite that was marked with a swirl. Miss Wilkins called Mrs. Dwight and asked for two more special invites for her aunt and uncle who were in town. But it turns out that the criminals aren't her aunt and uncle at all. It was all a trick. Lady, you never should have done it, says Detective Ambrose. (laughs) As if she doesn't feel bad enough. (laughs) It's like Detective Ambrose is constantly trying to get in like some good (laughs) one-liner. Yes. 
Well, Mrs. Dwight knows Miss Wilkins well, so she's not part of this crime syndicate. This woman ain't nobody's aunt, says Ambrose. What's your name, sister? Try and find out, she sneers back at him. It turns out Mrs. Wilkins doesn't even have an aunt and uncle. Ambrose says that the thief is a pretty smart cookie. (laughs) Just then, Ned comes in, sporting some black eyes. Ned, you've been in a fight. And how, says Ned. That fellow you assigned me to follow proved to be tougher than a whole squad of football players. That's a lot of football players. Oh, so he got away? Yes, Ned admitted, disgusted by his failure. I'm awful. He says, though, I could have beaten him, but I chose to turn the lights back on to prevent a robbery. Nancy's like, that was a good choice. Ambrose is like, wait a second, my friend, the guard, is supposed to be guarding the basement. And Ned's like, I didn't see a guard. This is mighty queer. Mac wouldn't leave his job. He hasn't for 106 years. So they find him unconscious and drugged in the basement. (sighs) That's the Velvet Gang's method, says Nancy. Find the one guard, knock him out with drugs. (laughs) Unfortunately, and this is rare in a Nancy Drew book, the prisoner won't talk. But Ned is happy because they've really clipped this gang's wings. Ned thinks that they wouldn't dare strike again. But Nancy doesn't know. They'd dare anything, Ned. (laughs) They're daring a thing they wouldn't. (laughs) But Saturday night. That's the last date. The last date. There is no party. So what's going to happen? Ned points out that the gang isn't scared of the police. I guess he's switching to say they will dare things. But you know who they are scared of? Nancy Drew. It was you, he says, they tried to kidnap. It was you who found them out time and time again. It's you who, if they are going to be uncovered by the police, must come to a dance with me. Yeah, I have a really good plan. Come to a dance with me. If you're not here, Nancy, then they'll do crime and the police can catch them. You'll make a detective out of me yet, Nancy Drew, says Ned. (laughs) Ned says she should give him her entire attention on Saturday night. But she says, what if I need to leave? What if I'm needed on the mystery? And he says, wow, you're a hound for punishment, Nancy. Really weird. Well, he says you're going to be too busy. Thursday, we're going to the yacht club races. And the 4th of July belongs to your dad, he told me. So creepy. If he does have to help. He says, another black eye won't matter. (laughs) Nancy, wearing a flattering yellow sports dress, brings Linda to try to identify the prisoner who still won't talk. Mm -hmm. Linda recognizes her as a customer who once talked to Mr. Tombar about masks. Nancy investigates the Tombars by going to their house. And what does she find? That they've moved away. No forwarding address. It's my unlucky day, she says. Meanwhile, Mr. Snecker is out delivering merchandise and taking a long 4th of July weekend. I only have a few hours to do this mystery in because my boyfriend and father own me. (laughs) Nancy finds a fruit stain on her dress and has to change. As she's changing, I guess her memory is jogged and she guiltily realizes she hasn't visited George in several days. George says, I worry every minute that you'll get into real trouble. Do you just imagine her showing up and George sitting with like a lace shawl by the window? <laughs> just like looking out and shaking. And being oh, like, God. I worried about you, Nancy. Nancy says, why I've been so good lately, it hurts. 
She could not understand George's strange attitude. It's a real mystery, honestly. Could she have been threatened? Probably not. Well, Bess, despite George, agrees to go with with Nancy to visit the inn in the few hours they have before Nancy has to go on a date with Ned. (laughs) As they go, they discuss George's fate. What if she never gets better, says Bess. Don't suggest such a thing, says Nancy. Now you'll give me the shivers. Ooh, something Nancy's afraid of. When they arrive at the inn, they spot Tom Barr's car ahead of them pulling in. So they park a little ways away so that they aren't seen by him. Maybe this will turn out to be my luckiest day yet, Nancy says, heavily oscillating between levels of luck. (laughs) Inside the inn, the crates are gone, and Nancy sees Mr. Tombar go through a trap door in the floor. Just then, the tailor's truck pulls in behind them and then leaves. Bess is sure that they had been seen. Let's go now. Nancy ignored her plea. Of course. Always. Even though she says she's being extra careful. Nancy sees Mr. Tombar with velvet masks in his hands <gasps> emerging from the trapdoor. Bess forgets to be the lookout in all this excitement. And just then, hoods are thrown over their heads. Resistance proved useless. <laughs> Resistance is futile. futile. Mr. Tombar orders the other criminals to hide Nancy and Bess. Because Harris is coming to buy the inn. He says, you see what happens to people who don't mind their business? (laughs) Nancy and Bess are blindfolded, bound, gagged, and put in a musty basement. Nancy and Bess think, could George possibly be depended upon to send help in her current state? I would think she'd be extra. I'm surprised there isn't help already there. That George didn't just immediately tell her mom, Nancy and Bess are in trouble. Go get them. I think she's probably too busy sipping broth and knitting. (laughs) 20 minutes later, they're moved. This is worse. A second location. How could anyone find them? Luckily, Nancy uses a protruding nail to leave a button as a clue. They're put into a vehicle. Who knows what vehicle? And two captors are in the front, but they're clearly talking in disguised tones. Can't trick Nancy. Nancy, we got those two in the back. (laughs) Nancy tries to surprise them to get at their natural voices by making a loud thump. Oh boy, it works. It's Florence Snecker. Bess isn't moving at all, so Nancy's a little worried, but she thinks, when dreadfully frightened, Bess does sometimes black out for a time. (laughs) What a (laughs) sleepyhead. Florence, now maybe even sporting her regular voice, says, I wish I'd never been dragged into this deal. Oh, shut up, says the other one. After tonight, you'll be on easy street. They bring Nancy and Bess to a nice little room. (laughs) Florence says, goodbye, blondie. (laughs) And the man says, we'll take you away in a little while to a place where you'll never squeal. Seldom had Nancy been in a more hopeless situation. These scoundrels meant to take them away and keep them prisoners indefinitely. Oh, why did I let myself get caught? Yeah, one wonders. Why did you do that, The thing I shouldn't have done was get caught. Hannah is the one who worries about Bess and Nancy. (laughs) 
but she can't find anyone who knows anything. Ned shows up and says, I was afraid of this. She becomes so completely wrapped up in a mystery. Women! Carson won't be back home until late, so he can't be relied on. And uh, Ned does remember something about a blue iris inn, but has no idea where it is, and it's not in the phone book. Luckily, they go see George, and even though George won't talk at first, her mom lays down the law. She says, don't let your fears mean more to you than Nancy and Bess's safety. And if you ever wanted to know how to cure trauma. That's it. A good old guilt trip. That's what it'll take. It's like a... (laughs) (laughs) This brings George right around. The old fire came back into her eyes. Apparently, the woman threatened not only Nancy, not only George and Bess, but also all of their families, all of their loved ones. And at the end, they said something rather odd. We'll put Nancy on ice in the flower cellar. I'm so mad at George. Like, as it turns out, it's not trauma. It's a threat. Mm. And the threat isn't much more than the constant threat you're all under. It's the first time it's occurred to her. I guess, like, we'll hurt your family. What? (laughs) Yes. I've wondered ever since what they meant by that, she says. But I never brought it up because I was too busy being scared. Ned thinks that maybe flower meant flower, like the plant, instead of the plant that's been ground up to eat. George says they should call the real estate agent Harris. Now she's completely recovered, so she insists on joining Ned to try to stop Tombar. Harris informs them that he hasn't even paid Tom Bar yet. His client can't get the money together until Monday. So Carson heads out to the inn. Finally gets home. He informs the state police that they should head there too. And George finds Bess and Nancy's footprints and Nancy's button. Mm-hmm. And she's like, this is a Nancy button if I've ever seen one. Look, it says ND on it. <laughs> I, mean, I assume. The police then say they have enough evidence to follow the tire tracks. Yeah, that Which doesn't it. make a lot of sense to me. Could have done that anyway. You didn't need a warrant. They will try to catch Tombar in his car. Carson suggests roadblocks. It's a good idea. Ned shares Nancy's theory that there is going to be a big robbery that very evening. Ned is clearly lagging behind and Carson says, come on, hurry up. He says, no, I'm going to stay and guard the inn on the off chance that Tom Barr comes back here. Carson says, but he may carry a pistol. Ned says, I'll watch my step. I've got two fists. (laughs) I named him Shot and Gun. And I'm used to tackling opponents on short notice. I want to pay him back anyways. Yeah. I wonder how many of his football opponents have guns. He didn't do so well with that other thief, even without guns, either. Nancy and Bess, meanwhile, are in intense discomfort. Nancy begins sawing off her foot ropes with a a saw. A sharp thing she found. Is it not literally a saw? No, it's like a sharp thing on like a trunk. I just, why did I think, I literally assumed that she had found a saw. No, probably just because they said sawing. (laughs) It was the hardest kind of work, says a woman who doesn't work all that often. But she manages to free her feet, then her hands, then finds the light. When she turns it on, she finds they're in the shipping room. Bess is freed, but the door is locked. Outside, they hear a man bragging about how easy they were to catch. Well, that sucks. <laughs> he says, they'll get them in a half an hour. In the meantime, they plan to rob Taylor's department store. Oh no, I guess Mr. Johnson should have given a crap. <laughs> Best suggests screaming for help. No, Bess. We don't want them to hear us. 
They'll just tie us up again. We could ask that man outside for help. <laughs> Best stop it. Nancy finds that some of the boxes contain stolen goods. I've found the loot, she shouts. <laughs> Wonderful, but that doesn't get us out of here, says Bess. Nancy does find a chemistry set, and they decide to make it seem like there's a fire. One of the guards leaves. Perfect. Now they're only up against one. They grab their cords, gags, and blindfolds. They're going to need them. They turn the lights back out, and Nancy gets to doing some chemistry. (laughs) Patiently, Nancy kept blowing the smoke under the door crack. (laughs) Just love that image. Especially since I imagine her holding a test tube or or whatever. Just like lowering it to the door. There needs to be an illustration for that. Finally, the guard notices he comes running in and Nancy trips him. The old tripperoo. They tie him up with their previous bonds. (laughs) Nancy recognizes him as one of George's captors and she also checks his wallet to make sure who he is. He's Bert Snecker. Snecker! She takes the store keys from him and starts trying all the, the doors. When they enter one room, all the counters are draped with white sheets and Bess says, ghosts! So don't worry, there are ghosts in this book. They find two women and a man in that room looting the counters. Bess whispers to Nancy, we can't capture all three. And Nancy whispers back, with luck we can. We'll find a phone and call the police. So I hope her luck does hold out. The thieves do hear the police sirens. The police decide not to be sneaky. Yeah. So they try to flee. But Nancy and Bess block the two women's way while the man, the only one to escape, runs out the back. Deuces. The women made the mistake of trying to overpower Nancy and Bess. The police arrive with their clubs and arrest them. Beat the heck out of them. Having been caught, the women glared at Nancy with hate in their eyes. (laughs) There's just a lot about trying to interrogate these people. Like, it's a lot. Mm -hmm. Finally, Florence breaks down when Ambrose says that sentences are lighter if they confess. Which, guys, if you're talking to a cop, don't confess. They can lie. They will lie. The first prisoner is Florence's half-sister, Mrs. Ridley. It's all in the family. Ermintude Schiff, an actress, is the other woman. This is all things you need to know. She's Mm -hmm. an actress. Yep. She only got into it for the money. She's new to it. A little bit of background for you right at the end of the book. The man who escaped is Florence's brother, Jerry Goff. (laughs) He's the educated one, who uses an Oxford accent sometimes to impress people. (laughs) What a unique cast of characters. <laughs> Unnecessarily unique. Tom Barr's wife, as we previously said, is not involved in any way. Goff, his role in the robberies was to befriend the servants so that he could sneak downstairs and turn off the lights. He started the whole idea, but Tom Barr made it all happen. He planned all of the robberies. Am I wrong or was weren't the lights turned off at maybe like a third of them? Like not most of them. I feel like that guy wasn't pulling his weight. No, maybe that's why he gets away. At that point, George shows up. You're safe, she says to Nancy and Bess. And Nancy whispers to Bess that she's thrilled. Bess agrees at George's, they call it recovery, I guess. Mm-hmm. I'd say stuffing down your trauma mm-hmm. deep, deep inside. Suppression. Suppression. At her suppression. They better go check on Ned because <laughs> he's still at the inn. George... Decides she wants to go too. The excitement, she says, has cured me. That's what did it. I'm fine. 
Nothing is wrong. This will never come up again. If you have anxiety, there's nothing like excitement to cure it. You know, I barely even remember why I was upset. I don't remember it. I don't remember anything. Very healthy. Mm -hmm. Her father ruffles her hair and says, That's our old George. It seems like old times to hear you talk that way. Yeah, old times like a week ago. Go get in some danger, buddy. (laughs) They find Ned on top of a man. He had pinned and sat on Mr. Tombar for half an hour. Just sitting on him. You just imagine Ned sitting there with like his legs extended and his arms crossed. Mm -hmm. Just like, I'm not going anywhere. (laughs) Ned apparently found him getting a roll of money from out of a cupboard and tackled him. Mm -hmm. Ned gave Tombar two black eyes. Tombar berated Nancy for the capture of the Velvet Gang. Fuming, he's taken away. Luckily, most stolen goods have been returned to their rightful owners, Hope. Oh, good. Money from the sale of the inn was used to cover those that couldn't be returned. Mm. I I think that's how it works legally. Mm -hmm. And Carson settles with Mr. Leitner's clients out of court. Mr. Leitner gives Nancy, as a gift, an ancient mask of a beautiful Egyptian queen. One that was really from history, and one that is a replica for her to wear to masquerade parties. Luckily, Ned is going to bring her to his frat's masquerade. Bess says, Nancy ought to go as the queen of mystery. It won't be long before she'll be in the midst of another puzzle. Indeed, she will. The next book is called The Ringmaster's Secret. (gasps) I hope we learn to run a circus. We're going back to the circus, Carl. It's been a while. Nancy says, what are you girls going to wear to the masquerade? Bess says, you know me, always Bo Peep. That's weird. And George says, I'll have to think it over, but there's one person I know I'll never try to imitate. Who is she? Asks Chris Bess. Brown. Oh. George, that well-known detective, Nancy Drew. You heard it here first, folks. Little girls, don't emulate Nancy Drew. Mm -hmm. Don't try to be like her. George pretended to shiver. I tried it once and found it too dangerous. Well, that's it for us at River Heights Radio. Join us for the circus next time. I'm Carl. And I'm Hope. Go Go Wildcats! to have a special episode about this video game sometime i have a we have a there's a host of video games we can um oh i don't know put them on our patreon remember to support us at our patreon (laughs) you can email us at riverheightsradio at google.com or find our patreon river heights radio we'd really appreciate it instagram at river heights radio twitter at river heights fm River Heights Radio on Facebook and River Heights Radio on YouTube. Uh, and give us a review or five stars on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher or wherever you're listening. Yeah, if you listen this far, I mean, why not? We actually put a, a lot of hours into these episodes, but we're having a lot of fun. That's oh, a blast. So it's all thank for you, you guys. for listening. <laughs> An extra special big thanks to Robert Busby for composing and recording this podcast's musical intro and to the wonderful Hope Busby for editing this entire thing. You guys make it happen. (laughs) 